Welcome to The Road to Rural Prosperity, featuring stories about rural Oklahoma and rural America. Guiding us on the journey today is our host, Ron Hayes. Thank you, Billy, and welcome to another conversation along the road. Today, within our Ag Perspectives podcast series, once again, we've got our own Casey Shepard talking with one of the most famous people in agriculture, Dr. Temple Grandin, a designer of livestock handling facilities, longtime professor of animal science at Colorado State University. She has designed facilities uh, that are seen in really almost the entire world, from the U.S. and Canada, Europe, Mexico, Australia, New Zealand, a lot of other countries. Here in North America, almost half of the cattle uh, are handled in a center track restrainer system that was designed for meat plants by Dr. Grandin. Curved uh, chute and race systems that she is designed for cattle are used worldwide. And her writings on the flight zone and other principles of grazing animal behavior have helped a lot of folks to reduce stress on their animals during handling. And Dr. Grandin, getting into all that today with Casey as we continue along today here from the Radio Oklahoma Ag Network and Oklahoma Farm Report on our Ag Perspectives podcast series. Here's Casey. Talking today with Dr. Temple Grandin, the professor of animal science at Colorado State University. Thank you so much for being with us today. It's really great to be here with you today. Well, we wanted to talk a little bit about sustainability in cattle because we've had uh, a couple of really hard years with COVID and, and market reactions and things like that. What do you think it takes for folks to understand that cattle is sustainable? I've done a lot of thinking about this. Um, I've worked for years on improving handling at slaughter plants, uh, designing equipment such as the center track restrainer system, which at least half the cattle in this country go to. Uh, handle this piece of equipment when they go to a large client. And I've been thinking a lot about, you know, where do cattle fit in on sustainability? I've been getting increasingly interested in this field because <coughs> you got more and more people questioning uh, cattle. You just look at them as terrible environment wreckers. And I've been getting, been reading a lot more about uh, crop rotation, grazing cattle on cover crops, intensive grazing systems where you can improve soil health. These are things that we need to be doing. And there's some very progressive people out there really improving things with their pasture management. I mean, I've seen pasture that's never been grazed and it looks terrible. I've also seen pasture that's been overgrazed and I've seen pasture that's been grazed right and it's actually improved the land. Um, this is something that's truly sustainable. And we have huge amounts of land um, where the only way you can raise food on it is a grazing animal. Western United States, that'd be true, but also the outback of Australia. I've had a chance to fly over the outback of Australia in a small plane, and there's no way to raise crops there. There's not enough groundwater. There's not enough rain. And so the grazing animal, that'd be cattle, sheep, goats, whatever, um, bison, uh, if we use them right, can actually improve things. Now, I want to emphasize to people that grazing conditions vary tremendously in different parts of the world, and you need to get extremely good local advice on, on the best way to do things. I can't emphasize that enough. I've also done a lot of thinking about stuff that looks sustainable that's not. Okay, biofuels, um, when you do it in moderation, it's sustainable. If you start exporting it, it's no longer sustainable because you're putting it on a diesel-powered ship. That's not sustainable. Uh, we've got to look at what are truly um, 
sustainable uh, things. Well, I think some people don't understand upcycling with cattle and how they can take something, you know, ruminants that nothing else is going to use and turn it into something great. Well, that's just it. And, and these are lands that um, tend to be more arid lands in a lot of places. And, and uh, you can't grow any kind of a crop on uh, Animals are part of the land. About three or four years ago, we had a seminar at our animal science department and they invited an agronomist to come in and he explained how the very best crop land in Iowa and Illinois was created by herds of bison. That's a grazing animal. And the predators would keep them bunched. So they'd come in for a few days, mow the grass and then move on. And uh, now what we have to do is artificially bunch them with things like electric fencing or, or herding methods. Um, and so you graze a piece of land and move on. And then in different parts of the country, it's gonna depend upon how long you have to rest that pasture for it to recover. And one basic principle I've learned about is the top of the grass recovers quicker than the roots. And you've got to let the roots um, thoroughly recover. Well, I know that cattle are of course close to your heart. So let's talk a little bit about cattle behavior. As we get into the, uh, the fall calving months, what are some things that uh, producers should do to get ready and to care for their cattle as they get ready to have babies? Well, uh, one thing that has really improved a whole lot in the cattle industry is stockmanship. I mean, the NCBA's funded a lot of um, stockmanship training seminars. Um, I got asked just the other day if cattle had memories of bad experiences. And I go, yes, they can definitely remember bad experiences. In fact, some of the first research I did when I came to CSU back in, in 1990, around the early 90s, was I watched a bunch of cattle going through a squeeze chute and I kept track of which ones accidentally got clunked on the head by the head. Kit. And then they had to work them every 30 days for another experiment. And the ones that got accidentally clunked on the head remembered that when they came back the next month and they were more likely to block and refuse to put their head in the head gate. So they definitely remember things. An animal, any animal lives in a sensory based world, a visual world, a world of sound, a world of smells. You wanna understand them, you wanna get away from language. You can often improve uh, movement through your corrals simply by removing distractions. Things like all the vehicles parked alongside the fence and you've got a reflection on the vehicles or a coat on the fence, or there's a piece of chain hanging down or some other little thing that jiggles. You wanna get that done out of the way. You know. So that way, when, when you're doctoring the cattle or especially if, if you run like an AI system where you're at doing embryo transplants, you wanna make the time that the cattle go through the shoots a pleasant experience that they'll remember. Well, you want to at least make it a neutral experience. And another thing that helps, and there was some old research done by Jeffrey Hudson in Australia, and he found a little feed reward when the sheep went through the shoots, made them more willing to come back in the future. And they remembered that a whole year later. Animals remember visual things. Um, I didn't, my, my student, Megan Corgan, did a very interesting experiment that might explain why horses sometimes spook for apparently no reason. And um, she's one of my, was one of my graduate students. And she took a plastic play set, like for a toddler that's got a little swing and a slides brightly colored and walked um, fillies and colts by it, um, Halder broke um, fillies and colts by it 15 times. And the first time that they walked by it, they'd stop, put their head up, you know, puff out their nostrils. And then they finally got habituated. So then she took the play set and she rotated it 90 degrees. And when they came back, 
passed it the first time after it was rotated, they acted as if it was a brand new object. Now this was all done at a slow walk because if this had been done at a gallop um, with someone riding a horse, a horse would have slammed on the brakes and they would have gotten dumped off. But sure. that it's visually different. Think about it. A slide looks different when you turn it 90 degrees. You see it's a picture visual memory that the horse has. Well, and that makes a lot of sense because I know sometimes people think that, that calves spook. I used to have a heifer when I would lead her by a certain post that would take off running every single time. And me, in my naive mind, didn't realize she was probably seeing something on the fence that spooked her every single day that we got to that exact place. But those kinds of things are really important to notice. Or she might have had something bad happen near that part of the fence. Another common problem is what people say, my horse is fine at home. My steer went berserk at the show. And there's a lot of new novel things at a show that you need to get your animal habituated to. Things like flags, bikes, and balloons. And one of the best ways to do that is let your animal voluntarily approach these things. Don't shove it in their face. If you were to decorate a pasture fence with flags, the cattle or the horses will come up and investigate. But if you shove them and shove it in their face quickly, that's going to be scary. See, something new is attractive when an animal can voluntarily approach, and it's scary when it just suddenly appears, especially for the animal that has a more genetically flighty temperament. Do you recommend keeping, like, so if you have calves or mama cows that are a little bit crazy, do you, is there anything that you can do to, you know, try to get them to act a little bit better, or should you just cull them from the herd? Well, there's some cattle that are completely crazy. You might just want to uh, cull them for the herd. Um, there's been a lot of interest in weaning methods. I just read an interesting article on weaning, and it talked about a lot of things that people already know, but they're things that people need to be reminded of, is before you wean them, you want to make sure they know how to drink out of a float-controlled water and things they might run into when they go down the supply chain. Because there's been some cattle that have um, practically... Uh, died of thirst because every time the float control water went shh, they were afraid of it. So it'd be a good idea to learn how to drink out of that before you leave the ranch and do that before you actually wean them. And a lot of people are doing fence line weaning because the cat's more interested in being near mom than he is drinking from her. And you want to have him eating some other feed too, out of troughs and out of other things before you wean them. Do you find that's the most productive way to wean calves? You know, the fence line weaning, there's also been the other methods with the nose flaps, but the th problem with that is you've got to put, take them in and out, and if that doesn't match your vaccination program, then you're going to have to um, uh, run them through the chute an extra time, so I think more people are just going with the fence line weaning, and, and I think that's probably really you know, a good way to go. Well, I know you've worked closely with uh, the beef quality assurance and finding ways to, to better treat cattle. What are some things that you think producers should do to make sure that they're providing the best stockmanship to the cattle? Well, the first thing is stockmanship training. Okay, let's just look at very simple things you can do. Like you have cattle lined up in the single file chute to get them in the squeeze chute. Sometimes you can get them to move ahead if you just quickly walk back, walk back by them in the opposite direction. And when you cross the shoulder at the point of balance, they'll go forward. Very simple thing. Um, the other thing is electric prods should never be a primary tool. I don't recommend banning them, but they're not your primary tool. 
and uh, there's some very stubborn animals that won't go into the squeeze chute. A quick um, um, touch with an electric prod is preferable to hard tail twisting. And the big mistake that people make when they twist tails is when the cow moves forward, they keep twisting it. If, the, if you just touch the tail and she steps forward, then let go. Right. You want, the principle is, is when they do what you want them to do, give them relief. You bring them in on the pasture, you put some pressure on the flight zone, they're going where you want them to go, then back off. They rear up in the chute when you're handling them, back off, back off, get out of the flight zone. And I had people say, well, Temple just talks about, you know, just basic, um, ba very basic things. But I find that that's necessary because you have new people coming into the industry all the time. I have a new book, relatively new book out for small producers called Temple Grandin's Guide to Working with Farm Animals. And it covers just basic things. And because you you're basically saying that you can train cattle to do what you want with with kindness. Well, yes, and you can also um, train cattle like to you know move pastures by honking the horn. Um, one thing I don't like is cattle that see a vehicle and they just want to chase it. It's a lot better to make the food uh, associated with maybe the vehicle's horn rather than with the sight of the vehicle. Also, you can get cattle so tame and pushy that when you're feeding, they're pushing up on gates and pushing up on four wheelers. Now, if you put, what you gotta do is wait until they stand calmly, then you open the gate or put the feed down. Because if you give them the feed when they're pushing and shoving, now you've just rewarded pushing and shoving. And that's not a behavior you wanna uh, encourage in really big, heavy animals. It's almost like you can train dogs Kind of like you can train cattle, except you're working with like 1,200 pound dogs. Well, yeah, and you and and that size of an animal tip over a four wheeler, and then you know they're, they're not don't let them ever find out, never let them find out the feed bags rip. Right. You can't undo that knowledge once they discover that. Yes, that's exactly like when your uh, when your dog jumps up and gets the steak off the counter, you're not going to be able to undo that reward because it was too good. <laughs> well, that's the problem. And you're getting similar things with bears breaking into houses and cars. Yep. yep. Learned how to do this. Well, let's talk a little bit about um, getting your animals ready for the show, because we've got a lot of folks that uh, have show cattle, whether it's pigs or horses or goats or lambs. And you always say, don't start getting your animal ready the day of the show. You've got a lot of preparation to do on the, on the back end, right? Well, absolutely. And I, I, one thing we need to get away from is, you know, tie it up to a post and let it fight it out. Don't do that. Um, I watched Kurt Pate do a wonderful demonstration of how to train a, um, this is probably like a 500-pound beef calf to lead. And one of the reasons they fight you when you're trying to lead them is you're inside the flight zone. So basically what he did is he made a lead rope extension with a lariat. He just very quietly threw the loop over it. I'd recommend for most people, put it in a squeeze chute and uh, put the holder on and maybe put a 20 foot lead rope extension on. Because now you can do what Kurt Pate does really easily. You're now outside the flight zone and he's not gonna fight you. And you pull a little bit on the lead rope, he takes a step forward, then pressure and release, very gently, uh, pressure and release. And there won't be any fight because you can always be outside the flight zone. And then gradually you reduce the flight zone to where you can touch him. Um, and this gets away from all this tug of war stuff with, with um, steers and get really dangerous. 
Uh, we always have to remind uh, students never to uh, wrap the lead rope around themselves. Uh, years ago, a student was killed in Colorado, dragged by a steer that when they had done that. Uh, when Kurt Pate was doing his demonstration, I and I had to tell a girl that never wrap the um, the lead rope around her hand or around her waist or any part of her. That it's just really dangerous. You just never do that. And then you also want to make sure that they're familiar with maybe things that they wouldn't have seen on the farm. All right, let's look at things we got to get them used to. The things that happen at the show. Strange people touching them. We need to get them used to lots of different people touching them. Once you do start to get them halter trained, we've got to get them used to scary things that are likely to be at shows. And I call them the big three, flags, bikes, and balloons. And get them used to these things at home. Like maybe put some uh, flags out in the field and let your, your steer just walk up to them. Let, let your steer or your horse approach the flags. Don't shove them in his face. Bikes, you know, let them just uh, come up to a parked bike. And then you just walk it around slowly. And the reason why bikes are scary is because they can be silent. They sneak up on you and then they're there. Balloons are really erratic, a lot of rapid motion. And flags can have erratic motion. Let's get them used to those things. Get them used to different vehicles because some of the worst cattle for uh, having a great big bunch of agitated behavior when they're taken to a new place are the ones that have a flighty temperament. So they're genetically flighty. In other words, they're gonna get more scared of a flag than a horse that's, or a cattle that's genetically calm. And they also have lived too sheltered a life where maybe there's just one person on one truck is all they've seen. So we gotta get them used to different vehicles, different people and different people touching them. Because of course in the show, they're gonna get touched by the judge. Is there a way to tell which cattle or calves are, might be a little bit crazier than the others? Well, there's genetic factors in startle response. Um, now I am not a fan of tying them up to a post and letting them fight it out. But if that's done with the Holstein calf, uh, they'll, the reaction is much less intent than maybe an animal that's got a much more flighty, some of the beef breeds that might have a more flighty temperament. Now for the last 20 years, producers have been selecting for calmer cattle. Now, one of the things they're selecting for is a less intense startle response. They don't get as scared. So both the animal's genetics and its previous experiences will affect how it will behave. Okay, if you have a, one of the more flighty breeds of cattle uh, and you fail to habituate them to the flags and the balloons, they'd have a more violent reaction in the show than maybe a Holstein heifer would have. She just doesn't get as scared. Holsteins are calmer. But a lot of the beef cattle today are much calmer than the ones we had 20 years ago. Oh, absolutely. I used to only want to show Herefords because they were so much sweeter than my keys. You know, yeah. the, the, the keys and the mains and the Angus uh, have calmed down quite a bit, but they were, they're still, they're still pretty sassy sometimes. Well, the thing that I noticed, our, our, our Angus herd is really calm. And um, about four or five years ago, they tried out some new Angus semen and I had a steer in my lab and he was absolutely crazy compared to our other cattle. And all of these cattle had had the same experiences. And I'm going, hmm, I called him the time machine because he was like some of the cattle that we had 20 years ago. Because my student, Bridget Boisonnet, 
my first graduate student, did some of the original research on um, temperament. And the hypothesis was, is that cattle that jump all around for a big fit in the squeeze chute would have lower weight gains. And when we did that study, people thought we were crazy. Turned out it was true. And that was the beginning of some of the temperament testing. And we did that originally in the, in the early to mid 90s. Well, and I think genetics are becoming so important with, with how we raise cattle now, because you can basically decide, you know, what you're willing to live with and what you're not. Well, we've got to make sure we don't over-select for traits. I'm getting concerned now about, about foot and leg conformation in some of the Angus cattle. And I'm really pleased that the Angus Association now has EPDs and guidelines for breeding for good feet and legs. I think that's um, really good. But you over-select for any trait, you might end up with trouble. I wouldn't want to select so much for, for a calm temperament that maybe she doesn't take care of her calf. We've got to be careful about not overdoing things. Genetics also affects other traits, such as how much pasture cattle will graze. There was a very interesting study done at New Mexico State University with GPS collars. And they said, some cattle are go-getters. This is their language. You can actually look up the paper. Go-getters and laid back. And the go-getters would go out and graze a lot of pasture. And the laid back would just lay around the water hole. And so this is a trait that has nothing to do with fear. It's kind of an exploration trait. Some animals want to get out and explore more new territory than, than others. Well, that's fascinating. And because I, I, I always wondered, like, do cattle, do they all get along? Do they have other cattle that they don't like? Do they not want to hang out with certain cattle? Is that, or do they always just, you know, go in groups and stay together all the time? Well, uh, sisters uh, will graze together. Moms and daughters will graze together. And when numerical ear tags first became really common, sequential ear tags, so like you might get a set of ear tags, one through a hundred, and then you put those on your cattle uh, as they come through the chute in sequential order, ranchers were surprised that a lot of the cattle the following year almost came back through the chute in the same order. That's fascinating. And, and that was one of the first things, you know, they have, um, they have a social, uh, they have social relations. They're social animals. Um, one of the places where you can really get an animal stressed or get an animal or a person hurt is a lone uh, uh, cow or a lone um, steer off by himself, isolated from the other cattle. He's trying to get back with them. And they'll be jumping fences and charging things. The lone animal has put a lot of people in the hospital because it's frantic uh, trying to rejoin its herd mates. Well, that brings up a great point. Do you have any tips on ways to ear tag babies that first time? Because that's, that's a dangerous time because the mom's on edge, the baby's brand new. What are the best practices for that? Well, you might want to put the baby between you and her. That's one of the things you might do. And uh, have the pickup close by or something else close by. And I've had ranchers say to me, oh, she tries to get me, um, charge me, but she gives me a calf every year. There's certain cattle where there's a point where they just get too dangerous. You need to just uh, sell them. But you don't want to get moms that are dullards that aren't going to you know, protect the calf. The other thing is spend time out walking amongst your cattle. So they get used to you walking on the ground. And then they're going to be uh, less likely, I think, to attack you. An animal differentiates between a person riding on a horse and a person walking because it's two different pictures. It's just like that rotated playset, and and 
if the, uh, there's been some very bad accidents that have happened at auctions and meatpacking plants it, with cattle where they've been exclusively handled on horseback. And then when they met their first person walking, the flight's almost now five times bigger. And in a small pen, that gets really dangerous because they're going to try to run back over the top of it. So get them, get them used to walking amongst them too, because you're going to have to be on the ground when you're working with the calf. Well, and, and just because they're used to you, that doesn't mean they're going to be used to your grandkids or your wife or anyone else. It's a completely different picture. Well, you need to get them used to different people. And of course, they're showing animals. They've got to get accustomed to having strange people touch them. All but fascinating I, stuff. I don't and, look at it like from the animal's point of view. Um, I talk about that in Temple Grandin's Guide to Working with Farm Animals, which is my book for um, small farms and the especially good book for um, students that are going to be showing animals and then I have humane livestock handling. It has large, much more elaborate facilities that are made out of welded uh, material where the guide for working with farm animals has a lot of simple layouts that you can make with portable panels. And that's really uh, useful if you have to um, graze on leased land where you're going to have where you want to just set it up portable and then you can move it somewhere else. And also helpful if you're like a one man shop kind of doing things on your own at the farm. Well, that's right. And and uh, there's kind of two kind of philosophies designing cattle handling facilities. I can make things very simple and economical, but it takes more stockmanship skill to operate it or make something more complicated that would be easier for unskilled people to operate. Well, Dr. Grandin, always fascinating information. We just love talking to you. I appreciate you taking the time today. It's been really wonderful uh, talking to you, and thank you so much for having me. Thanks for joining us for today's Road to Rural Prosperity podcast. The Road to Rural Prosperity podcast series is a production of the Radio Oklahoma Ag Network and OklahomaFarmReport.com. Proud to be a part of the family of the Funk Companies.